Hey everyone, and welcome to the Phileas Club. This is episode 70 for April 26, 2016. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phineas Club. My name is Patrick Beja, and as you know, this show is where we get together and talk about uh, things that have been happening in the world. And hopefully, with these, this weird assortment of different people, we get sort of different angles and different views on the events that have been making the headlines in the different places. Uh, I'm currently in Japan. I don't, I'm not even sure what I'm going to be talking about. Now I'm, I'm all confused between France, Finland, and Japan, but... I'll well, I'll find something. Japan is rich enough, like like that, in in stories and things to say. But uh, before we get into the stories proper, let's introduce the panel that we have uh, today. Um, first, the uh, honor to the ones that have been here uh, the longest. Uh, Paul is back from Hong Kong. How's it going, Paul? Hi, hi. It's going very good. Uh, things are well. So and I'm glad to be back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing that the the most uh, momentous event that's happened in Hong Kong in the past few months, possibly years, is that uh, Turkey is is there, and and you met and you had dinner apparently. Yes, he's here, and I uh, had the good fortune to go out with him and his very lovely wife um, this past Sunday, in fact, and we had a very nice time chatting and eating and just uh, catching up. Were were you followed in the streets by adoring fans of Turkey that were screaming for his uh, attention and approval? Well, yeah, you know, wherever you go, uh, Turkey's going to just draw a crowd. That's just the nature of who he is, right? So, <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'm glad uh, you had a good time and I'm happy his, uh, he got to meet another uh, host of the show. Um, second uh, host or a second co-host i guess you even though you were just on one the last episode you're still the second oldest uh, uh, co-host <laughs> that's antoine from france and the u.s we're so international between uh now myself traveling around and paul who's from the u.s originally but in hong kong and now you've been in boston for so long antoine are you really it, still french i i sometimes i really wonder but each time I go to a bakery, I really remember I'm French because the bread here sucks. <laughs> really? You don't have good bakeries in Boston? That's, I think some people might That's not this. completely true, but I, I like to be French. So say right. things are like food is really better in my country, even if it isn't. <laughs> Try to be pretentious to keep your French identity. Yeah, I, I completely understand that. Um, and by the way, we got lots of great feedback uh, for the previous episode where we discussed French politics for an hour, a little bit over an hour. Uh, and it was funny, you know, we had a lot of people coming to Twitter and other places and saying, oh my God, I didn't realize Patrick was such a, a conservative in his country. Apparently, the country is insane and they're all crazy, uh, you know, communists around the, uh, over there. So thank you for <laughs> finally illustrating what I've been arguing for uh, years on this show, which is, you know, French people are the real communists of the world. <laughs> I will not answer, otherwise it's going to be an all-new episode just about that. 
Uh, he didn't take the bait. Excellent. But yeah, we, we got a lot of great feedback on the episode. If you haven't heard it, um, we discussed French politics and, um, how different they are, you know, are, you know, the left side of the political spectrum, how left side is it? What does the right side mean in France? I think it's a really fascinating episode. So, uh, I would encourage you to go listen to it if you haven't done so already. And finally, to complete the panel, uh, we have, how did I put it before the show started? Uh, the one from the country of convicts in order mm -hmm. to be, uh, to be offensive to everyone I could today. Uh, Peter Wells is joining us from Austria. Australia. How are you doing, Peter? I'm good, Patrick. Yeah, check your wallets after the uh, episode is finished. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll make sure to, to do so, I including you listening. You know, you never know what's going to happen uh, w with the power of the internet. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> thanks for joining, Peter. We just we also just did a show together a few days ago. Uh, we had day six of DTNS and uh, had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me there. Oh, that was an absolute pleasure, Patrick. Thank you so much for uh, joining me um, and, and, you know, taking time out of your, your time in Japan. What are you actually doing there, Patrick? That's the big mystery, isn't it? Everyone hmm. keeps asking. And actually, the reality is that I'm not really doing anything special. I'm just doing what I'm always doing, the shows I'm always doing. I'm working normally. It's just that a few months ago, we... Uh, you know, my wife and I realized that uh, she doesn't have to be anywhere specific or for, for work at that point. She didn't need to. Uh, I don't really need, I, all I need is an internet connection. And we both love the country and she wanted to experience life in Japan uh, as well. And so we figured, you know what, we, we could just go. Let's just Excellent. go. So yeah, we rented that a is house. That's so cool. There. Yeah, yeah and uh, and the the, the free Wi Fi you'll get in hotels in Japan will be better than the Wi Fi I pay for in Australia. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been touch and go. I've had a few scares uh, here as well, but I think it's the specific router in the apartment that is the not perfect. The connection itself is fine, but um, yeah, I think you know one of the things I'm taking away from this is. A lot of people are are telling me, "Oh my God, you're so lucky! You can you can do this." It's like, and certainly, I am for sure. And my wife is going to school uh, to study Japanese, and there are a lot of uh, people who are here for that as well for a few months, you know, three six months a year. Uh, and what I I take away from it is. Of course, there are points in your life when you're not going to be able to do something crazy like this, just leave everything and go. Uh, but there are points also where you can, where it's not as incredibly difficult to do that. Uh, you know, when you're a student, when you're younger, maybe you've just finished mm. your studies. I would recommend to everyone so much that before they start getting into the, you know, unending path of, of work life and family life and everything just do something like this mm. just go and, and travel I, and yeah go ahead can i say go. something on that i think for me it's extremely important because i think a political issue everywhere uh, in the world in every country especially now is immigration and actually leaving the role of an immigrant to like spending a year or two in another country change your view on that a lot and making you part of that even if i mean for me you know i have a phd i'm working at harvard it's not you know like yeah a it's a very different situation, situation yeah. but reality is that still mm. every time i speak i'm judged because of my accent 
every time I tried to do something when I arrived and with my accent, I had to open the first time my um, uh, electricity line and I was facing a voice robot, which was like, say, I'm not a customer. <laughs> I had to say that 20 times to get it. <laughs> and after it was like, spell your name. And my name is 20 letters long. And I was like, there's no way it's going to work. So I had my boss doing it. And that makes you realize that, like, pay attention when you speak about immigration. Mm. It's real people behind that. And, and I think that's one of the great things about Australia as well, is that we, we are one of the most well-travelled uh, nations on earth. Uh, we've got one of the highest uh, rates of, of people owning passports and things like that. And I think it's part, you know, almost everyone I know has done some kind of either very long trip through Europe or Southeast Asia or somewhere. Uh, and I think it's part of it, you know, part of the fact is it's to get anywhere from a Australia is 20 hours in a plane. So you may as well make the most of it. You know, you may as well just uh, spend a couple of months overseas. So uh, if and, you're but going, I've, I've, you're I've going. Had, I've had that exact experience where I've been trying to uh, uh, get a T-Mobile phone uh, to work <laughs> and I had to pretend to have an American accent to get through the, the voice tree. <laughs> Yeah, it's I mean, in France, I think we have a we have so much tourism and and we we are so close to other European countries. I think more people do travel than probably in the US. I'm curious about uh, Hong Kong, Paul. And is that I mean, Hong Kong is probably very international. It's very different from mainland China. But how is it? You know, is that common for people from Hong Kong to move around? I think yeah, the population here is a bit better traveled than um, than other parts of, say, Southeast Asia, um, because you have uh, a pretty vibrant middle class. You know, so at least they're they're at least going to places like Japan, South Korea, and and somewhat culturally proximate places. Um, but you do have, of course, a lot of people who have relatives in other parts like Canada and, and of course, the United States uh, and the UK. So there's there's quite a bit of movement. Uh, back and forth there. I do think it's interesting. I, I, one of the things that I would say uh, is in sort of, sort of support of uh, Antoine's point is I think that college students in the U.S. really need to get out of the U.S. I think it's I think it's a big, big issue. I think it's part of the reason why you've got so many people who are, you know, so politically apathetic or politically against Uh, immigrants is because they don't really have a lot of contact. You know, there's so much ethnocentrism in the U.S. these days. They just don't have a lot of exposure, a lot of contact to people on the outside. Um, and it's a shame, I mean, because, yeah, you, it really does broaden your view. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's basically what I was arguing for as well. I think we're in, in agreement. Um, and on a show like this, where we value international, you know, opinions, not opinions, but diversity of opinions, I guess, is, is obvious, you know, it's going to happen. But it, it's so important, you know, it, it changes, just like Antoine was saying, it changes the way you look at people and the way you look at the world. It is incredibly important for people to grow as people. Um, You can't really talk about uh, differences and, you know, uh, the, a different person if you haven't been yourself different at some point in your life. And it doesn't have to be, you know, going to live in an ashram in India. It can just be, as, as you were saying, just putting yourself outside of your comfort zone and outside of your uh, environment and just seeing what happens because some strange things are going to happen that you're not going to expect. And 
And you're going to realize that some of the things you were certain of were maybe not as clear cut as you thought. I mean, so yeah, anyway, travel a little bit and do that. I th I think the bigger point that I that I even was making is that there are so many people who would like to do it and who are stopped not by the impossibility of doing it, but by the fact that they're not doing it alone. You know, it, it doesn't take that much effort to go travel for three months, especially for us. Uh, most of the people listening are probably going to be, you know, uh, uh, people from first world countries, uh, probably mostly white, uh, but at least, you know, from first world countries, it's not, it doesn't take that much money. You could probably save that whoever you are, unless you're in extreme poverty or poverty, uh, you probably can save enough money in, in a year if you work a little bit hard to go spend a few months somewhere and you're going to be so happy you did it and, and don't get stopped by your own inability to make a decision that's super important yeah someone wanted to add something i was just going to say and uh don't be scared of backpackers uh backpacker <laughs> hostels <laughs> if, if you've got very little money then that's a very good way to do it as well yeah mm, there i mean there are so many ways airbnb i got the first time uh, i came to japan with my wife we had one of the airbnbs we stopped at was uh 30 bucks a night uh, granted, it wasn't the most amazing place ever, but it was fun. It was silly. It was like a bar downstairs. It wasn't too noisy. It was, but you know, it, it, it's possible. It's absolutely possible. So uh, I think there, the reason I'm, I'm being so passionate about this now is that I get a little bit angry when I get people coming to me on Twitter and saying, oh, you're so lucky about this or that, you know? It is about luck a little bit for sure. And I feel thankful and lucky about many things. But it's also, you know, coming to Japan for a few weeks or a few a couple of months is not about luck. It's about you deciding that you want to do it and bringing together the conditions that make you able to do it. I'm not saying everyone can. You have some people who can take the time off the job. Some people who have a family, they, they really need to support. I'm not saying everyone can, but there are so many people who could, but who don't who aren't doing it just because they're not doing it not because it couldn't be done sorry rant over all right i'm gonna move on uh peter you're australian what's happening mm -hmm. down under all right well there's pretty much only one story uh that anyone cares about and it'll be the the main story for the next 10 uh 10 or 11 weeks i think uh and that is uh the election so we're we're just about to kick off a federal election in this country and uh just to compare the politics uh of, of Australia to the rest of the world, I guess, you know, we're probably, even our most conservative party is probably still left of the Democrats in the States. It's not, uh, we're, we're, we're very much a kind of, um, a, a, a country that uh, has a lot of regulation and a lot of social security and that kind of stuff. Very similar, I'd say, to uh, some of the things you guys were talking about last week. So, um, I think, yeah, I think to be fair, any democracy in the world is is that way, you know, compared to the US, I think. The US pretty much. <laughs> yes, indeed. Which is another reason why Americans need to travel. But anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so the the thing is, uh, so so I, you know, I d discussed this with you the other day that all I'm going to do here is try to give you an overview of the characters involved in this upcoming election, just so that if, if you want to watch it as kind of like a Game of Thrones, as a, you know, really, really short little mini-series in, into Australian politics, um, I think it's going to be a really fascinating election. And, uh, you know, 
like I said, it's 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 almost it, it is almost like trying to explain to you um, the first episode back of season five of Game of Thrones. Like, okay. there's a lot has happened in the last couple of years um, <laughs> that informs this current election. But that's what makes it so fun. Like, there's a lot of characters there. Um, so, did you want me to start just kind of explaining some of that stuff? Yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. I mean, I haven't really uh, heard anything about the Australian election, so I'm curious to to hear what's well, what you know, happens we're not there. Important. We, we, we all understand that we're not important as a nation. That's fine. We, we, we've accepted that. So that, that's cool. Um, but yeah, so this is purely just as a curiosity thing. But um, so, we, so we have two main parties. There's the Liberal Party, which is actually conservative, um, just, just to you know, <laughs> okay. confuse everyone. Uh, it's like Iceland, Greenland, that kind of thing. Um, and then we also have uh, the Labour Party, uh, mm. which is a party that's been around for about 100 years. It does have ties to the trade union movement. Uh, not so much anymore. In the 80s, it kind of became very corporate. And uh, and actually, the UK Labour Party, the reimagining of Tony Blair's Labour Party was based on the kind of reimagining of the, the Labour Party in Australia during the 80s. So that, that gives you some kind of uh, uh, background there. Uh, I, I can other- hear Antoine cringing from here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Not through Skype, through the actual air uh, all the way from the US. <laughs> Jump in at any time if yeah. you have any questions. Um, there's also two minor parties, the Greens and the National Party. The National Party pretty much only ever, um, you know, wins seats out in the rural areas of Australia. Uh, it's, you know, they're, they're mainly a farmer's type party. That's that's who their, their um, demographics are. And the Greens generally only win in the inner city um, parts of, of Australia. Um, but we do have preferential voting. So it's not first past the post. So you can actually vote for a minor party and know that your votes will still probably flow through to one of the major parties and, and still make a difference. It's not like that, you know, throwing away uh, a, a vote uh, by voting for a minor party. How does that work, actually? I'm not sure, because that's a big issue in uh, in France, and I'm sure, you know, in other countries as well, that if you're not voting for one of the big two, then you're sort of throwing it away. Right. So the way it works oh. is if, uh, just say, uh, <laughs> there's a couple of people uh, running for a seat. There's Labour and Liberal will generally be the the, the two main parties. Uh, but say if the Greens uh, come last in, in a certain seat, then, uh, and sorry, and no one has made a clear 51% of the vote, uh, then whoever came last in that seat, their their votes are then distributed to whoever their second and third choices on the on the paper itself. So it's not that, say, um, the party can say, I want to give all my votes to these guys if I don't win. It's every single voting paper has to be looked at and decided which where those preferences would have flowed um, based on how someone numbered uh, their candidate. Oh, so you mean Jump. each 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 voter decides this one first, this one second, this one third. Exactly. And, oh, and okay. so... The, the, the parties do have how to vote cards that they hand out uh, at elections um, to, tr- to try to persuade uh, users to uh, <laughs> users. Uh, this is me talking about <laughs> a tech podcast most of the time uh, to, to, uh, to explain to voters how they prefer their preferences to flow. But okay. um, yeah, it's completely voluntary. So you can say first Green Party, then uh, then Labour Party. And yes, Antoine, you're, you, you I, are I have a question human. about that. Um, how does it work on the paper? Uh, do you write down on the paper your choice or you just like there is like proposition for uh, choice number one, choice number two, choice number three and you, you just like eat a box or do you write yourself? 
Uh, yeah, you just you uh, there, there's a bunch of boxes and names on the thing, and you just uh, you just okay, you just great. do in in numbers what you prefer uh, the order of your votes to flow. Okay, I was just saying that because I was kind of afraid. I was like, if you write yourself, I mean, your vote could be possibly like um, um, tied yeah, you, to you in in a way. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. weird, but yeah, it's actually. Oh, not because like people could could recognize the trace you. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Okay. And th- yeah. I'm like, oh, that's mm. not what? really democracy. <laughs> well, so actually, sure, that's actually great. We are the first cu- country in the world to have come up with uh, um, the the blind vote. So yeah, that, that that was an Australian invention. So you're welcome, world. Um. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that's really cool actually because it is a big problem, and I'm I'm not you know when I'm saying you're you're throwing your vote away again. I heard Antoine cringe, um, but I think I'm not saying people don't do it. It's just that it feels like if you're it feels useless if you're not voting for one of the big two, which is a problem. It shouldn't be. Um, mm-hmm. So it seems like does that actually have an influence on the way people you know on the political climate in in Australia? Does that mean that it gives more uh, say, more power to the smaller parties? Absolutely, yeah. So the nationals, that's, that's one of the reasons why the nationals have been able to hold on to, uh, so many rural seats because they, they, you know, say that they're the voice of the, the rural people. And, and, and the same with the Greens, that, uh, the, there's, there's going to be a couple of inner city seats this time around that will be fought to the death between Labour and the Greens. And it'll be a really interesting fight to see what happens. And some of those smaller, uh, inner city seats could take, you know, weeks for the count to finally finish um, once they work out who who has won um, and but because of that like the Labour Party will ev- will definitely see when they're losing votes to the Greens and that will inform the way they're going to change their policy for ne- the ne- next election if they say that they're constantly being uh, their vote is constantly being eaten away by a more progressive party like the Greens then maybe it's time for them to start to get a little bit more progressive and it also flows through the number of first preference votes that a party receives uh, determines how much funding they will, they will receive to fight the next election. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a reward in that sense as well. I love this system. Let's, <laughs> let's do that everywhere. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. All right. I mean, there's a lot of things I think we get wrong, but there's a couple of things I think we get right. <laughs> but, not, okay, so that's the politics. That's, that's the boring stuff out of the way. What's really fascinating about this election is when I was, you know, for, for most of my life, uh, federal politics has been pretty stable. Uh, in, in the 80s until 96, there was a Labor Party in, in power. And we don't have any kind of uh, uh, rules that, you know, you can only have two terms or anything. You can stay as long as you want. So um, there was a Labor Party in power from about the 83 to 96. And then the Liberals took over from 96 to 2007. Um, and then Kevin Rudd came in at 2007, and this is where it all became a bit weird. So Kevin, uh, Kevin did a, uh, a really kind of dramatic election, uh, a presidential style campaign where it was vote for Kevin because you hate John Howard, the previous prime minister. And, you know, to, to, to be honest, we all did. We all, we were all sick to death of, of, uh, John Howard. And the, there is a, f- a famous saying in Australian politics that no one ever gets elected. People just get kicked out. Um, that, that Australians <laughs> don't really, like anyone enough to vote for them, but they hate people enough to kick them out of office. <laughs> and if so you that, don't that, have a, a fixed number of terms, I can understand how, how that would happen. 
Exactly. Yeah. Eventually, you just you know you sick of the sight of someone. So you know, that's that's kind of how a lot of Australian politics has worked up until two thousand seven, and then Rudd came in. Uh, it was an in- incredibly popular vote, and you know he he swept the the election, and everything was great. And then within a year. His own party, the Labor Party, had knifed him from the job. Knifed is, is that a term that's universal? Knifing meaning like putting a knife into someone's back or? Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, his party knifed him and uh, threw him out and put in uh, uh, Julia Gillard as the Prime Minister because the Prime Minister is not voted for by Australians directly. It is just they're a representative in Parliament that is chosen by their party to lead the the government. Uh, so that's that's where it became kind of interesting. So Kevin Rudd was there. He was knifed by Julia, and then they went to an election. Julia won, and then Julia a year later was knifed again by Kevin. So Kevin came back, <laughs> and this just became so ridiculous. Like even everyone outside of the Labor Party could could clearly see this was the silliest bit of, of uh, personal politics happening between these gigantic egos. And so, of course, the Australian, poly- uh, uh, the Australian electorate kicked the, the Labor Party out. They were just sick to death of the, the, <laughs> the infighting in the games. And so instead we hired, uh, sorry, hired, <laughs> we, we voted in. <laughs> it's a strange country. Anyway, instead we voted in uh, Tony Abbott, who is... Oh. I'm sorry yes. for you again. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and that's the thing. Everyone hated him. Everyone in the electorate absolutely hated this man, but he was the chosen person for the Liberal Party, and we were just so sick of the Labor Party that it was like, oh, fine. Like, he can't be... Surely he won't be that bad. Turns out he was really bad. <laughs> he was actually much worse <laughs> than anyone was ever expecting. Um, you know, he made uh, George W. Bush look like a Rhodes Scholar. So, um, Oh, we, that we, bad. Yeah, yeah, he, he was not very popular, so he got knifed. Um, so now, <laughs> now the current uh, prime minister, who hasn't actually announced an election yet, uh, but we know it's going to happen because of different weird politicking. We know it's going to happen, and it has to happen by July second. Um, he is now about to start an election campaign, and what's going to be really interesting is. I'm guessing that he's going to win. I mean, obviously, it's an 11-week campaign. Anything can happen. But at this stage, I would say he's going to win purely because there's so much hatred for Tony Abbott. (laughs) um, Again, one guy is being voted out rather than the person being voted in. But but Tony Abbott is not even there anymore, really. Like, he's not another candidate. He is just... He has just been kind of kicked out of the job of Prime Minister, but he's still hanging around and he's still sniping at his at the current Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, and he's just there in the background. And I think I think the Australian people are going to say, well, we, we want to give Turnbull a fair go, and we kind of think that he hasn't had a chance to have a fair go because he didn't win an election proper. Now, when he wins an election proper, then he can t- stand up and, and probably argue for some of the more progressive things that he stands for. He's, he's, he's got really good environmental credentials, uh, well, theoretically anyway he hasn't shown it yet um and he does have uh he he does support uh, marriage equality and things like that so but again none of these things he's kind of had the opportunity to do yet because there's that feeling that if you if you take over uh as prime minister without actually winning an election you don't necessarily have that uh you don't have the ability exactly yeah 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 you need to win an election first to then 
stamp your approval, uh, stamp your ideas onto the nation. So it really feels like Game of Thrones, but with elections thrown in. It's like mm -hmm. if people could vote in, in, you know, the people of Westeros in Game of Thrones, if they could vote, they would be like, oh my God, what is that <clears throat> dude going, doing again? Like he's <laughs> at it again. Let's just, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I had no so idea Sorry, when Tony Abbott was uh, thrown out, which was on my birthday, by the way, a fantastic gift from the nation to me. <laughs> um, the, when that happened, I, I mean, the, it really was like that uh, that episode where Joffrey had what was coming to him as well. There, there, there was not much uh, <laughs> sadness in the streets when uh, good old Tony Abbott was shown the door. All right, cool. Um I, I guess uh, let's give the, the talking stick to Paul for a second. I'm wondering if that kind of politics feel familiar in, in you know, obviously not in Hong Kong, but how do, do politics work in, in Hong Kong with China now being the, you know, overlord? And is there, I'm, I'm, I don't think we've ever spoken about this specifically. Um, yeah, it's very complex here because, Uh, they don't have universal suffrage, technically. Um, so we have a chief executive who's like the, the head of the region, who's uh, elected by a small body of uh, elites. So it's somewhere between, I guess you'd consider like a plutocracy or a meritocracy. And they've been pushing for universal suffrage. It's been one of the things on the agenda And so Beijing put out a plan for universal suffrage a couple years ago, and most of the population... Specifically for Hong Kong? or Yeah, it's specifically okay. for Hong Kong, um, but most of the population is not happy with it, because basically their plan says that they're going to pick, you know, so Beijing is going to pick <laughs> uh, two or three candidates, okay? And of course, they will be party members, and they will be fully vetted by um, the... The, the Communist Party, and then you will then get you to can vote, vote freely, on, uh, freely upon those. <laughs> so, you know, of course, a lot of people coming from the the British colonial background and Western education are not very happy about um, this proposal, mm -hmm. and so it's still a very contentious issue right now. So, um, but some people argue that you know it's uh, a limited democracy is better than what you have right now, which is is no democracy at all. Mm, um, local people can vote for their their local representatives um, in in sort of what what is would be considered like a, a congressional body, which is the the LegCo. Um, but that's about it. Yeah. So. Mm. so um, Oh, go ahead, Antoine. Oh, I um, just no. had a question about that because I remember very well when uh, Beijing came with that plan. And from what I've seen just with like general media, there were a lot of protests for sometimes. And when then we didn't hear anything about that. Where is that going? Is there still like mobilization somewhere? Yeah, well, we had a big, huge student protest um, just yeah. over a year ago um, called Occupy Movement. And, and actually, the place where I teach was kind of like ground zero for that. So it was a very sort of interesting movement. It went on for several months, and then they finally uh, closed it down. The students tried to do it in a very somewhat in, in a very peaceful manner, considering how mm -hmm. many protests around the world go. Um, but you still have a very sort of divided population. Uh, many of the elderly generation are uh, on the pro Beijing side, and they had they had people coming out who were kind of thuggish, um, using uh, what some people would say is a sort of mainland China tactics, where basically they're hiring thugs to come out and cause trouble. Classical. 
And um, it also divided the the police. Uh, this was the incident that really sort of sort of started to show that the local police seem to be on um, you know on the payroll now for the mainland government, which I guess you know they're kind of in in charge no matter what. Um, they're they're footing the bill. Um, so yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's it's split. It's actually split families. I mean, because you have young people who are, you know, going to university, who are very much um, in support of going out and protesting. And then you have the older generation who are very much against it. So it's actually been very divisive to many families here as well. So we actually, I think that's a good point to move on to the things that have been happening in France, and which I'm very happy we have Antoine to talk about uh, for us, even though he is in the U.S. Um, as some many people have heard, I'm sure we have had the um, Up All Night movement happening in France for the past few weeks, and that was initially in protest against the labor laws, the new uh, labor laws that were proposed, and the, that were... I think almost universally uh, rejected, or at least everything I've heard about mm-hmm. it were uh, people disliking them. Um, I haven't heard a lot of people coming in support. There have been a few, but uh, more importantly, it's sp- it sprung this basically Occupy type movement, this citizen revolt, this leaderless citizen revolt, which I have a, a lot of issues with that concept even. Um, to begin with, but it started in uh, in Paris because of the labor laws, and then it grew beyond uh, what it initially was, and into a general protest of yeah, <laughs> what just I would describe. Montreal, uh, yeah, uh, what I would describe it as we hate everything uh, protest, which <sighs> I'm sure Antoine would disagree with. Um, so it's it's just a citizen movement. What is it? How do you do you look at it? I, How I, would you? I, I think if we want to understand it, we have to just quickly back forward in time of two years. Uh, two years ago, there has been a law in France uh, reducing a specific portion. I don't know how to translate that. Maybe you will help, help me. Charge on companies, which is actually. Um, It's employee employee uh, taxes for employee salaries, basically. That, yes, uh, so it's actually yeah. part of the wages of the worker, which they don't receive directly, but goes to pay their social security and retirement plan. <laughs> I so, love how you how you're putting it. <laughs> no, that's a no. That's yeah, yeah, no, no. Go- I, I I know, but it's just the the way you 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 say it really says a lot about the way you look at it. And you're saying it's part of the wages of the workers, but they don't receive it. I'm sure someone from another that's background would indirect say indirect wages, and yes, that's actually no, I know, the official. I know. I know. All right, I'm fine, sorry. fine. It's but just so you know, anyway. Yes, the government cut the indirect wages of fourteen forty billions and so everyone in france globally we lost 40 billions in wages and to compensate that <laughs> we had to pay those 40 billion on our taxes as we just lost 40 billion on uh, wages so everyone was starting to be kind of upset after losing 80 billions uh, in profit of just the ceo and then they <laughs> introduced a new law i just need if you give me 
no, 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 go ahead. You, you can have as much time as you want. I'm completely, I'm just, I'm sure there are a lot of people uh, listening who are, you know, interested in the way you're putting things. Get, get, keep, <laughs> you can have as long as you want. Keep going. I, I just need three minutes to explain. And I think after explaining, we can absolutely have different point of view on what's the situation. Uh, so uh, they introduced this new law, which is named work law, loi travail, I don't know. Labor so, law, basically. La labor, labor law, right. And um, everyone perceived it as a counter-revolution in France. Because so far, uh, since more than 100 years, uh, we established, actually precisely in 1910, after the death of many uh, minor workers, a big law on, on, on labor, which um, um, regulates uh, how, like, regulates the work condition, duration of work, vacation, uh, what is a law to fire someone when it, it's not a law to fire someone, so those kind of things. So anyway, some laws were created um, to, to, to regulate that, and with time, some new laws were added, some were modified, but one spirit of the law sticked for one, more than 100 years it's that this law has a minimum common good of the worker and in some company if there is like a negotiation between the workers or a union and the board of the company you can have an agreement specific to this company that will give more rights than the right defined in this common law And this new law that they are trying to pass now completely revolutions that, making the agreement that you can have inside a company uh, the first thing. And the agreement can um, give less rights than the common law, which means that the common law then will be completely um, useless because if you can have... Um, Just an agreement in a company saying that the law don't apply in this company, the law will not apply anywhere after uh, sometimes. So, so basically, just just to make sure that everyone understands, uh, yes. there is so the law in France uh, set the the regulation for for work conditions, and there were things like uh, the number of uh, paid vacation and all of the conditions of every worker, and the agreements in the companies could uh, give more to the workers but not less, and the law, the general law, would always supersede the company specific agreements, and with this proposed labor law, the company agreement could supersede the law, and even if it, it gave, uh, quote-unquote, less to the workers, right? I'm understanding this right. Exactly. Okay. And also, this super law was already decreasing a lot the um, rights of the worker. For example, you could not have any free day uh, for, like, um, someone of in your family just died, you're not granted to have a free day, uh, you could work up to 60 hours a week with no previous approval of any regulation instances, a lot of things like that. So, as you said before, almost all the population was opposed to this law. And so, this led to a big movement uh, starting 
in um, the uh, among the students, high schoolers and uh, college students, which were then joined by the union, leading to on uh, March 31 to a huge protest with more than one million persons in the street in France. And at the end of this protest, some people decided to not stop there and just spend the night on this place, which is called Place de la République in Paris, and see what they could do to keep working to stop this law. And this was the first day of this, um, how did you say, Henri de Up all night, up all night. Up all night, yeah, yeah. movement. And <laughs> which something funny. So it's, as you said, people just trying to discuss every subject and don't have leader. And also there is kind of a, we are dreaming about a new world and that's why they are not each day. They are each night they are meeting. They are calling this night a new day of March. So if I remember in the calendar of Apple night, we should be at March 56 or something like that. Um, so that's kind, that can be funny or we can laugh about yeah. that. But actually, the movement is stronger and is growing all, a, a lot. Mm. And as I said, it's growing not only in France because there is a meeting of Apple Night in a lot of cities in France, but now in Belgium, in Canada. So it's growing. I don't know where it's going at all, but as we just said, you and I, in the last uh, episode, uh, the root of democracy is discussion. It's debate, and that's exactly what's happening there. And that's why it has all my sympathy. All right. So I, I don't want to go into the details of the labor law. I think there would no, be a sure. lot to discuss. But th there is... Uh, uh you know, there would be a lot of discussion to be had there and the adequacies of the, the French labor law system in compared to the quote unquote modern world and what we've gained from uh, uh, the, 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 the existing laws. There would be a lot to discuss there. And I don't think it would be all black or all white as some people might might understand it. But I know Peter has to leave pretty soon. So before you go... I'd mm. like your your opinion, Peter, on those um, citizen movements, on those, you know, leaderless citizen revolts, uh, similar to Occupy, because I've certainly had very different views on it. I started up, you know, very much in favor of it. And now I'm sort of like, I don't even understand yeah. where this, what the hell? And, you know, your view on it. And maybe, you know, of course, as always, you're representing your whole country here. Of so, course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I checked with everyone before I got on. Um, cool, cool. So, Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, part of me is really jealous when I hear stories like that. Um, I, I really wish that Australians got a little bit more passionate about politics. Like I, like I said, you know, the, the, the way I described it was pretty jokey. Our current po political system, because that's I think how a lot of Australians really do uh, view 
uh, I don't know politics in general. Like we, we we do have we do have movements that um, th- there have been incredible uh, you know the the anti war p- movements during the Vietnam War and then during the first and second Iraq wars were incredible. Like they, you know millions and millions of people. Like in a city of Sydney which has a population of five million, we're talking about two million people on the streets. That kind of stuff. So um, we are passionate when it comes to a really specific thing um, and generally. It, that thing is war. <laughs> we don't like going to war. Um, yeah, and, that's you know, probably we just, a good a good thing to get worked up about. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, we just. I mean, we just celebrated Anzac Day yesterday, which is um, a celebration of a battle that we lost. Um, and you know, I, I think that says a lot about the Australian uh, kind of psyche mm-hmm. as well. That we we the, the one day we take out to celebrate a victory, well, a, a military campaign. It's a campaign that we lost, and we talk mm-hmm. about the fact that. All war is futile. So, um, yeah, I don't know. In terms of in terms of those kind of uh, your occupy and up all night, that none of that stuff has really ever taken hold uh, in, in this country. And you know, political debate tends to be. Uh, in in terms of actual real people, it tends to be kind of like, oh, did you see that thing? That's pretty crap. Should we do anything? Nah. You know, that, and that's that's the end of it. Like, it'll work itself out. Don't worry about it. Like, and so yeah, I, I kind of. <laughs> there's a. It reminds me actually of a Midnight Oil song that has, uh, you know, there's too much sunshine and too much skies to to worry about politics. Um, uh, <laughs> That's a lovely sentiment. I I, I guess it, it you can it can happen in Australia where you have so much land and sunshine and and sky. In, in France, every, everywhere you turn around, there's some angry you know political activists looking at you and yelling. So it's difficult to forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I loved being in uh, Berlin and Barcelona over the last couple of months and just every day there was a protest that had shut down s- some part of the city. And, and I really, you know, I thought, God, I wish we had that back home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it must, uh, br- you know, bring, I don't know, sentiments of jealousy in Hong Kong as well when when it's so difficult to, to organize. I guess it's a little bit trite to say something like that. It's kind of, I don't know, almost conceited. It's like, yes, of course, you know, in countries that don't have democracy, it's going to be, uh, you know, they're going to be jealous of this. But uh, I don't know. It, it feels appropriate to mention it. Yeah, I would say, if I could just add in um, a little bit of my own political envy, um, And correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but, I mean, isn't Australia, don't you guys have mandatory voting? We do. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things that really saves um, this country in many ways. Uh, Yeah, it's mandatory voting. You do get, like, it's just a $150 fine. But it's just, it's enough that that everyone shows up. And, you know, uh, voting booths, are it's always Saturday, so you don't have to miss work. And there's always like a little school fate that you, that, that's happening around the election. So you go down and you get your little sausage. There's even a, <laughs> there's a little website called Democracy Sausage. If you want to find out what, what the best uh, sausage sizzles are available at your local bo- voting booths. So you know, we, we, take, awesome. we take politics very seriously. It does sound awesome. I didn't realize you had uh, uh, mandatory voting. That is something that I don't understand why. I mean, I know the arguments against it, but first of all, not having voting on on the weekend is completely, you know, it makes my head explode. I'm looking at you, America. It. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's, it's so, <laughs> that is the kind of thing that could get, make me go on a rant similar to the one Antoine just had uh, <laughs> a few minutes ago. Um, but yeah, mandatory voting. Even in France, we don't have it. I don't understand why. It's like the okay, not the one thing, but it's the the one thing that you really should do as a citizen. So mm. yeah. Anyway, mm. 
I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, Peter, let us know when, when you have to go. You did, you did say you had to, to leave. I should right probably run now. now, but yes, thank you so much, Patrick, for, for being on the show. It was really fascinating. Thank you. Um, can you tell us uh, really quick where we can find your works? Uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Peter Wells, uh, and uh, I'll be sending out links to all of the kind of stuff that I do uh, throughout the week, and you'll also see very cute photos of babies as well. Excellent. Thanks so much for being here, Peter, uh, and uh, say hi to the kangaroos for us. <laughs> Will do. Cheers. <laughs> Bye. Um, yeah, uh, anything else you want to add, uh, Paul, before uh, I say a little... I'm g we're going to talk a little bit more about the Apple Night, but uh, did that conjure <laughs> anything for you? Well, no, I do. I, I kind of share your sentiment, uh, thinking all the way back to like, the, I guess the the thing that started it, at least semiotically, with uh, Occupy Wall Street. You know, coming out of the 2008 financial crisis, we had a follow up here called Occupy Central uh, about a year or so later, um, with similar you know financial issues because of some of the fallout that happened as a result. And then that all merged into um, a year ago with the student movement, which they, they transformed into what they called the umbrella movement here um, because of some of the tear gas and, and uh, pepper spray that the police were using. But I, one, the one thing that always seems to get me as I watch these movements is not necessarily the lack of organization, but they always just seem to just kind of peter out. They never really seem to... Uh, make make any direct impact. I mean, I don't think we really saw any strong legislation come out of anything as a result of uh, the Occupy Wall Street movement. Certainly nothing came out of right. Occupy Central. Um, and it just seems like, you know, the, the powers that be will just bide their time until people get bored, until the media gets bored, until things just suddenly disperse. You know, the, the problem is... Uh Maybe you wanted to say something, Antoine. I'm going to follow up afterwards. No, but, but finish, finish, finish. Um, you know, there was a an episode of uh, The Newsroom, um, which is a show by Aaron Sorkin that aired a few years ago, um, which talked about the Occupy Wall Street movement and sort of crystallized and explained very well what I ended up feeling about those movements. Um as I was saying initially, when I when I saw the Occupy Wall Street Street thing, I was, you know, the 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 French person, the revolutionary left, uh, you know, liberal French person is me in me was like, yes, go ahead, tell it to the man, and you know, just just show Wall Street what what needs to happen or something, and the way uh, Sorkin put it in his show was. He he was you know it was a, a TV station trying to to get stories uh, obviously and Sorkin is very much uh, a liberal he, his political views are very visible in his shows and and you know it's not a secret that he he is uh, uh, on the left side of the aisle um, but he was basically explaining in that episode that those movements actively refuse to have a leader. And I understand why. I understand the reasoning behind it. But it's almost like they actively refuse to have a leader. They refuse to have an agenda. They refuse to have demands. It's just a general organic like. It, so what ends up happening is that it devolves into a general expression of discontent. But it's very hard to grasp at anything that that it, it would like to achieve because it 
actively discourages that expression of what it would like to achieve. It's very, you know, it's sort of, it makes me think of old hippies going to raise goats in the countryside. It's like, you, you you get together, you discuss stuff, and you have committees about things, and and but you it never nothing ever comes out of it because it's so radically idealistic that it cannot get down to the realities of actually doing something. Um, I and and oh, just sorry. to finish up, it it feels like the the movement, the up all night movement in France, has sort of. Uh, 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 taken that turn as well. It was very clearly against the labor laws initially, but now it's sort of a collection of everyone that is unhappy in the country. And I would even venture to say, I'm sure Antoine will disagree with that, but uh, sort of everyone that is very angry. I'm, I'm not going to go so far as to say intolerant, although there is a lot of... Um, I think there's a lot of intellectual violence, a lot of intellectual self-aggrandizing and a lot of, of uh, self... How uh, uh, I'm not even sure how to put it, but it's like everyone who is angry at someone specifically and wants to yell at someone has come together and said, yes, we're pissed off. And they don't... It's not even... You know, we were saying in the previous episode how we enjoy the fact that we can discuss stuff. It feels like there's very little room for discussion in that movement if you're not agreeing what, with what they're already saying and they're rejecting every dissenting opinion. Um, that's how it feels like to me. Antoine, I'm, I'm you know, the big dreamer of revolutions that you are might uh, see it differently. Uh, actually, I'm going to surprise you here. Um First, I think, and we will need after to differentiate a lot, uh, up all night and, uh, occupied movement, because I think that's two different things. But for occupied, I, as an activist, and when occupied happened, I was in France, like making my, uh, bags to go to the US. But <laughs> I saw you, it. you mean to, to go there, to, to go to occupy? No, or no, to, you were... to go work, not at all to okay, go okay, to okay. occupy. All right. Sorry. Um, yeah, that wasn't clear, but I was like, it's degree zero of activism. You're not asking for anything. You're just discussing all night with the plan of doing nothing. So that's what I thought at the moment. Then I moved in the US and like a few months after the end of Occupied and realized what had in fact happened. What had in fact happened is that not everyone, of course, but at least 15, 20% of the people present in the Occupied realized that activism was something essential. And I saw, I observed, because I'm not a student, but I was in uh, university, um, I observed the construction of socialist movements among the students and actually like increasing by a lot um, in terms of, number of, me- uh, number of members. And this happened throughout the country and this led to a general discussion. And do you think that without Occupied, someone as radical as Sanders could have happened in the US. Hmm, I think those two yeah. things are absolutely linked. That's that interesting. Is- I, I, I realized where you were going midway through what you were saying, and it, it makes complete sense. So I guess you're, you're right. 
I mean, you can agree or disagree with that position, but I think seeing Sanders in the US, I would have told you that five years ago, everyone would have laughed because it's unthinkable. It was unthinkable. So it comes from somewhere. And I think Occupy is the root of conscientization of a lot of youth, uh, young Americans. And so that's one of uh, what came from Occupied. So it was not completely pointless to me. Um, and then for Up All Night, I think it's something very different. Um, because as I told you, uh, and, and you agree, it, it was created just at the end of a strike, an actual strike demanding the stop of, of uh, uh, labor law, of, of this new labor law. So it was created with an objective, which is very different from occupied. Uh, I mean, a clear objective, a clear demand. And then I completely agree with you. A lot of people with different objective, objectives arrived. But in activist uh, world, this is named convergence of fights. And because I told you um, of what happened two years ago, a lot of people are angry at the moment in France. There is a docker strikes, there is the um, postman strikes, there is even policeman strikes, there is um, actor strike, and... But there's... there's no, always, no, there's it's always. honestly something is, is happening. Is it more, it's, it's different, yes. you think? Okay. Yeah, and, and also, I think what's very important is um, that the government has decided to use strength and uh, eat very strongly on the high schooler. Like we all saw this policeman um, uh, with a stick, uh, with a, a sticker of the Punisher on the policeman stick and uh, going to eat an high schooler with it. And all that... Oh, sorry, what are you calling an high schooler? Um, someone which is taking class in a high school. Oh, high schooler. Okay, sorry, sorry. I, I, I'm okay. sorry, my pronunciation is yeah, terrible. Yeah, no, it's fine. As you were, you know, you were telling me at the end of the show last time that you only started learning English, a few, uh, you know, three or four years ago before you, you went to the US, you didn't speak English. So I think you're doing a fine job. Don't <laughs> apologize. Um, yeah, okay. So high schooler was hit by, uh, okay, all right, I get it. But so are you thinking no, that No, but this in is... fact, it's super important because high schooler are... Um, really eat very strongly on a daily basis by the police in France. And that's super important because it, the government hope that it's going to end every, like everyone will be afraid and it's going to end every protest. But there is the other possibility, which is, I mean, we're talking about kids. So all the workers could be very angry that police is beating their own kids. And that's what we saw with the Dockers, which just said that if they saw another video or if they learned that a policeman bites another kid, they would block every um, arriving in, uh, uh, of, uh, of ships to France, uh, boats. So something is, there is a big fight at the moment. And the government is betting everyone on everything on this law. And the social movement is also betting everyone, everything. 
So it's a 50-50, it's a tie at the moment. We will see in the next week what's going to happen, but something huge could happen. But the law has basically been changed so much that arguably no. it doesn't... No, you don't think so? No, I thought, I thought people been... were saying it's it's basically uh, been not repelled, but repealed, but almost changed so much that it, everything they were asking for has been removed but no you're that's it's that's, the case. that's okay. that's what the government is saying and the people well, the first uh, people uh, you know the first people was signed the text saying that uh, things changed in this new law and it was acceptable on this new version it's the medef which is the union of the ceo yeah that tells I you would, something yeah okay i i would i wouldn't i wouldn't describe it that way but let, let's look forward a little bit are you thinking that or is the hope that with this movement um i don't think that this movement specifically is going to achieve a lot i think because of the way it's structured beyond the the labor law specifically the way it's structured is uh, uh, leaderless and uh, without agenda and all of this but is the hope that at some point in the future it's going to lead to what happened in the u.s with a, a sort of realization of the importance of activism and and uh the maybe the rise of uh what you called in our previous episode the real left with a real socialist uh, agenda meaning we're really caring about the workers right and a representative of that uh, ideology coming becoming more influential in the political spectrum in france is that the ultimate goal i i, I think that um to not speak about the the labor law yes this movement nuit debout um up all night is really seeing not everyone, but a lot of people that weren't involved previously into politics or activism or things like that. And um, the question will be, how many of these people will then transform into a new generation of um, uh, activists? Mm. And could this lead to a huge change? And we already, this movement plus the strikes, led to a very huge change in French politics over the last two months. I don't know if you realize that, but we never heard the Front National anymore, the fascist. Mm. Because they, are, they can't speak, because that's not their topic. And they show their limits very strongly here. And honestly, having the fascists just shut up for two months is just <laughs> so great. So just for that, I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's it's not their fight. You're right. I think they're going to come back with a vengeance. Yes, we, in, but uh, just so you're you're you speaking. Know? You're you're saturating the mic. I think you're getting very excited. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. But I'm like, yes, they will. But just two months without hearing a fascist, yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. So first of all, I would you know argue with the term fascist um i think you were saying in the previous episode words have meaning and i would throw it right back at you right now um would defend in this situation that they are fascist but okay that's a long discussion um but yeah the the i think this is the, maybe i'm wrong but i think there's a, a strong silent part of the population that is not as enthusiastic about all of this as you're saying and that is feeling very much 
shut down by the up all night movement because it's almost like if you express any dissenting opinion you're you're i don't want to say shut down but shamed i think this is the feeling that you know if you disagree with these and i'm speaking about the up all night movement i'm also speaking from experience from what i've uh felt in france over the past you know 40 some years um in these kinds of of uh protests there is such a unity of anger i'm not saying of thought because there are a lot of different <clears throat> people expressing different things but there's such a unity of anger that if you're saying something different thankfully with you antoine we can have a discussion and i'm very thankful for that but a lot of times if you say something that you disagree and i think that's what's happened a little bit in the on the place de la république in the past few uh days and weeks if you say you disagree you are shamed into silence and that you know frustration you feel at that point then expresses itself you know, in the voting booth, maybe for, you know, the the traditional uh, uh, liberal or conservative parties, maybe it expresses itself for the Front National, which is the far right uh, party that you were talking about. So I I do understand what you're saying, and I think it will lead to more uh, conscious voting uh, patterns in, in the future. I'm not so sure it it all of a sudden French people are realizing that activism is important. I think they've always that's known not this. What, that's always... not what I said. I okay. said part of the people there. And just if if I may to answer to this, um, you cannot say anything opposing the people at uh, up all night movement. I'm not there. I'm not part of the movement. I cannot speak for them. But what I can say is that. Uh, welcome in my world. <laughs> what I mean is that if you open the news, read the news uh, every day of the year, it's just a lecture of the liberals telling you how stupid we are for not understanding how Europe is the greatest thing on earth, how uh, companies are the future and the everything of society. And for a moment, those people are like, no, we also have something to say. We have a different vision, so we're going to say it. And because they are saying something different that the intelligentsia is saying every day, then it's like, oh, what rights do they have to speak? I have a problem with that. Mm, I, I wouldn't describe it like that, but we're not, if, you know, if, we're if living you look in at different Zorion worlds. Editorial, but, uh, it was so condescending. No, no, sure. But I mean, I wouldn't say that there is, uh, this is the, the everyday. I think there is a very strong opposition between these two views in France. I've, as again, I keep referencing to it, but it's, it's, it's so appropriate. The, the previous episode we did, <laughs> um, but there is this fight. I think it always happens. And there's always this, oh, but you don't know what you're talking about and you are completely wrong. Uh, I don't yeah, think but it's that's, like, what you're I not mean allowed is that to this speak. fight happen against like reasonable and real people like you and me but if you read the uh, media the journals there is only one side the journals are just one-sided most of them mm. and I would, that's uh, yeah. what i meant by that yeah but i 
I agree among the population, it's not one-sided at all. And we can have discussion like mm. I have with you. But it's there is a feeling where you're not part of the liberal ideology that all you think is never said or so rarely. And mm. that feels good to go together and discuss together when you share some value. And I think that's yeah. what Up All Night is kind of a liberation for some people, liberation of speak. After yeah, that's that, an interesting, I, yeah. It's an interesting way of looking at it. I would not uh, agree that there is sort of this uh, unilateral view on all of this, but I think it says more about how, you know, I would argue that what I call the left, you also call the right. So for, for yeah. you, everything is right. It's to the right. So yeah, you never hear something that is... But I would say, if we put it in blunt terms, it's because you're so much to the left that to you, everything else is to the right. That's why you feel that way. But I also understand <laughs> the sentiment you're you're expressing. Um, all right. Let's ask what all of this uh, uh, inspires Paul with. I mean, it must seem like alien speaking. I don't know when, when we're talking like this. No, no, it's really interesting. Uh, and I think... It, from my perspective as somebody who follows sort of two media streams, you know, the media in the U.S. and also the media here in Hong Kong, uh, the one thing that seems to resonate is that the idea that we can't have uh, a sort of multi-platform of conversation, um, because now, you know, everything's become, you know, in the U.S. you have either your MSNBC or your Fox News. And if you have an opposing point of view and go there, you are shouted down, you're, you're, you're you know, kicked out of the comments section, you're blocked off. And, and the same holds true if you go sort of to the other side. And part of me wonders if, if, if it's that media model, because it's the same here. You have um, you know, media here, which is either you know, pro-democracy or pro-Beijing. And it's very difficult to have sort of a, a back and forth conversation because very often it just sort of boils down into sort of YouTube style flaming and commentary these days. And I just wonder if, if because of the media models for that's how they make their money now, I guess is by being polarizing by choosing a side and that we've lost, you know, platforms that allow for a much more kind of open and, and sort of civil discourse. Because it seems to me, I mean, I, I'm not that old, but I seem to remember that there used to be a time when, when media was a bit more balanced like that. And, and I see that not just, you know, it, it's not just something that happened in the U.S., but I see that here, and it seems to be something that's happening in other media streams across the world as well. Yeah, it feels that way in France, too. I mean, I don't know how... You know, it, I always fight that that sentiment that I feel where I I I feel whenever I feel like it was better before, you know, back in my day, I always <laughs> try to fight that sentiment because I know how wrong it is so much of the time. But I always have this slight part of my brain that wonders if, you know, what if this time it actually <clears throat> was better back in my day? And I think that <laughs> that opposition in you know the the way you're character uh, characterizing the the media poll certainly feels that way for me as well and in france too i i used to look at the us and think oh my god those people are crazy having those kinds of you know they don't even 
they can't even speak to one another. It's just yelling. And it seems like that has translated into France as well at some point. But, um, uh, and, and I think it's, this is why it's so important to have outlets like the internet and, you know, some good places like the Fides Club and to support them on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Fides Club, uh, capitalism, uh, vote with your wallet, uh, give us money. Um, but <laughs> so no, but seriously though, um, we could talk about this for, for a long time as with most discussions we have here. Um, let's take us out of the show with maybe what's been happening in Hong Kong. You, you talked about a little bit of what's, uh, you know, happened a few months or years ago. Anything making the headlines nowadays? Well, the big thing that's just happened within the past week is a little bit tech-related in that um, Apple uh, had its um, its iBooks and its uh, streaming uh, movie services uh, shut down in, in China. We still have access here in Hong Kong, thankfully. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering going forward if, uh, you know, we'll still be sort of on this uh, two, one country, two systems uh, idea for much longer. Now, if you look at, for those who follow tech, I'm sure you've, you've picked up on this story already, but if you look at a lot of the Western media, what they're reporting on is the changes in sort of the, what they call the, the SARFT, which is the body that controls censorship, which is directly a part of the, the communist government. Um, hey, changed- just just a quick question about this. Mm-hmm. Do they call it censorship within the government as well? What what do they call it? That body. Uh, the 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 actual name of the body itself is um. They have it, it's SARFT. It's 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 it stands for. Uh, oh, I can't remember there. Um, In general, uh, is it like state, a- state administration of press, publication, radio, film, and television? Okay, okay. so it's so, so they control what gets through and 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 what doesn't. Um, with regard to media uh, in those areas. And they've recently set new policy guidelines on the ability for foreign companies, that are non-Chinese companies, to provide media content uh, within China. Uh, and so they, I think I read in one of the articles that they said, you have to actually be a Chinese-owned company, and if you're not, you can be blocked. And you know, So this obviously poses problems for companies like um, uh, Apple and and others who have uh, you know their the main base of ownership is not not Chinese, but the one thing that isn't covered in a lot of the uh, Western articles uh, that I've seen, for example, New York Times and and Fortune and a couple others, is that the timing of this is very specific. So this just happened um, last week, and the, one of the reasons that's being cited here locally for this uh, shutdown is because there's a little tiny indie film that's uh, gotten put up on iTunes for rental. And it's only available on Hong Kong iTunes right now. So if you're on U.S. iTunes or other foreign iTunes, um, it's not available yet. But it is, I think it's also available on the Asia region uh, Google Store, Google Play Store. But this film is called 10 Years, and this film actually won the Hong Kong Film Awards this year. And it's a little tiny film, anthology film made by a handful of local new directors, new young student directors. Um, the film's budget was about 500000 600000 Hong Kong dollars, which is less than $100,000 U.S. So this film, it, it's called 10 Years because it's a series of short stories about what Hong Kong life will be like 10 years from now. So it's a little bit of a sort of science fiction speculative, but... It's, of course, from some perspectives, quite negative about the continuing influence of 
uh, Beijing and mainland China policy on the lives of people in Hong Kong. So it's seen from their perspective as quite a negative film, uh, and some would label it as an anti-China film. Um, but this film has done uh, very big numbers, many sold-out screenings here locally. Um, and it, as I said, it actually won the Hong Kong Film Awards, going up against really big movies, you know, movies starring like Donnie Yen and, and um, you know, other big, super high-budget uh, Hong Kong films. So it won the Best Picture this year. It's very controversial. Um, they actually had uh, sponsorship from mainland China, people just uh, saying they're going to pull out of the, uh, the awards ceremony if it won. So this film goes up on rental on iTunes last week. And so many people say that the reason why is because this film is banned in China. It can't be streamed in China. And so that's the main reason why they flexed their muscles at this time. Because these rules were put in place, I want to say, back in February of this year. And they're only now deciding to to flex their muscles and, and, and shut these things down. Um, so it's pointing back to the, the release for rental of this little tiny film so that they can prevent the streaming of it into uh, the mainland. So um, for those, as I said, who follow tech, it's just a little sort of minor cultural tidbit that doesn't seem to have been touched on in the overseas press, but it's been covered uh, quite heavily in the local press here. So I'm curious when when we look at, and maybe this is a, a Westerner's view on it, but we always discuss in this, these stories, is Apple, you know, bending to the will of the Chinese government and implementing censorship in order to be selling their products in the country? Um, and, you know, I'm wondering how uh, Chinese people, maybe in Hong Kong, maybe you, you know how it's perceived in, main, in the mainland as well, um, do they look at this as we're not getting the real culture or do they think well, at least we're getting something and Apple is trying to, you know, and those technology companies are trying to insert a little bit more culture slowly, but at least it's something what, or is it something completely different even? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's both. And in fact, you have some people on the one side who look at it from sort of the, the heavy handed sense of view and say, oh, we're not getting you know, the full, the full Monty as it were. So we recently got Netflix for the first time here in, in Hong Kong. Um, after years and years and years of longingly looking at people in Europe and other places that had it. Um, but the Netflix they have in Hong Kong is, uh, you know, very limited compared to the selections you have in the U.S. Same for the Apple store, the iTunes store. You have a very specific selection. For example, they don't have TV shows on there. Um, you have a, a different selection of movies. You have some local films and some Western films, for example. Um, but... You know, these services have grown in recent years. Just in the few months that Netflix has been here, it's grown by leaps and bounds. And so, yeah, you have people on the other side of it say, at least there's something, you know, they're, they're having some influence. But Apple's a big target. And it's been, you know, it's been in the news before in recent years where they've come out against their customer service. They've come out against, um, you know, other policies. It's a good target for China, especially when, you know, they want to sort of bolster their own domestic market products, be they streaming services or be they, you know, actual hardware tech. Um, so, the, you know, some would look at this as sort of a, a you know, um, a, a move by China to, again, sort of bolster its own, you know, domestic streaming industry. But others have said that there, you know, it's the timing points to this sort of political aspect mm. as well. 
But so what you're saying is, I mean, you were saying earlier, basically both views are being expressed. It's either, you know, it's kind of like what we have here, which is kind of disappointing almost. Like some people think it's censorship. Some people think at least it's something, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's, you know, there are much more complex issues too with regard to distribution and, uh, you know, copyright and and contractual things that uh, I think uh, I've gotten into big debates with other people uh, on, that I think are ridiculous when we talk about the internet, but they are sort of part of the old school. No, you have to, you know, let, let these kind of uh, geographical deals mm. go through because that's how money is made and, and this kind of stuff. And, and I understand that side of it. Um, but it is interesting because, you know, Google pulled out of China after years and years of trying that same thing, you know, using that, that argument that, well, we're here, we're going to follow along with their guidelines because we think that our presence here is going to be beneficial in the long run. But things have gotten really a lot more strict um, in, in recent years. And so they, you know, they made the decision finally just to, to pull out altogether. I don't think Apple's going to make that decision because it's a huge market. It's the second largest market for them when you consider um, the China region, which includes both Taiwan and Hong Kong. Um, and so, you know, they're, they do gangbuster sales with hardware, and uh, they, I think they want these software services to continue on. So I think this will be something that blows over after a couple months, um, mm. and, you know, the services will resume sooner probably rather than later. Um, but even for Google, they have Google Hong Kong, right? And it's available in Hong Kong, and people yes. from the mainland can easily access it? Or No, they have to go through a VPN, because mm, okay. uh, if you're in the mainland, you're behind the, the Great, the great firewall. firewall, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, all right, this is, this is too great an opportunity to pass, and I understand how uh, uh, silly and almost, not pandering, but... Uh, facile it is to do that but antoine you are a left wing a representative of the left wing uh species I'm a representative of no right. one just <laughs> just for the purposes of this uh, charade that we're going through right now um but no i mean uh, uh i think a lot of people would would look at the way you you view the world and would say okay Communism and socialism might be closely related. And here in, in China, we have an example of actual implementation oh. of communism. I know, oh. and I understand how terrible this is going to sound to you. But it is a question that I think is legitimate, legitimate for some people. And I think it's, it's, it, it would be interesting to hear your rationale, your answer on, you know, well, just what you think of this and, and why your reaction is, is uh, strong. I mean, I don't know where to start. I mean, I don't define myself as a socialist. I don't define myself as a communist. I define myself as someone with some critics about how the world is actually working now. But I uh, define. I think I, I think it's fair no, to say that you're. I don't define myself with having being almighty and having all no, the no, no, answers. No, no, no. That's, and that's not what I'm point. saying, Antoine. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you are probably uh, politically to the left of of most of the people I know, at least, and I'm sure most of the people that listen to the show, and the the 
maybe mistakenly, so please feel free to say so if that's the case, but mistakenly, I think a lot of the people listening would think, well, if you follow your ideas through, we might get close to something like, you know, communist China or, or that kind of political system. Yeah, so please I think, explain to us why it's not the case, why you would say it's not the case, if, if that's what you think. I think, like, the biggest idea in people sharing my points of view is that on how politics should uh, work and make sure the most important thing for us to how organize society and how make sure tyranny is not created because that's exactly what we are speaking about when we are speaking about like communism in Russia or communi uh, like U USSR and communism in um in, in, in China, all that created so many deaths and are horrible systems. I want to be very clear on that point. No, I think everyone agrees. Uh, no, I think the question, I, 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 the question is how, yes, how come yes. it doesn't and, lead and, to and that, so, right? So for us, what's super important is that every politician should be... Um, um, oh, I don't know how to say that in English. But, no, say it in French, uh, I can translate um, sometimes I forgot the name also in French, but, uh, uh, um, accountable, uh, destitué. Maybe? Oh, destitué. Okay. Uh, so, uh, impeached or removed from office, maybe. Yeah. At, at any time by votes and, um, you should not, uh, stay in professional politics for more than five years, people should turn. We need to make sure that power don't stick in the hands of a man. Power should be like just shared by everyone. And because we need people to take decision at one moment, they need to be like leader for one moment, but this should turn. And each time you have someone that stick to the power, like power burn you. And Even if you start with great intention, you can do horrible things. And we see that even in unions and leaders of unions are so many times in so many countries corrupt or thinking just about re-election to keep their seats. And that's, I think, for me, the root of evil that started all the horrible things we saw in those countries. Yeah, I think that's something we can... Uh I, I don't. I think you're dodging the question a little bit, but also at the same time, it's uh, it, it's something we can all agree on. Uh, we don't have the the ideal system for um, uh, addressing that issue, but certainly the feeling that some, when people stay in power for a long time, they get corrupted by that power is is I think agreed on by a lot of people. There's an interesting. Um, <clears throat> not theory, but idea that I've seen floated around uh, more and more, uh, which is a, an idea put forth by the same people uh, usually that uh, talk about a citizen's wage, which is, I was completely revolted by initially, maybe not revolted by, but I didn't think it would work. But thinking of it more and looking into it more, I think it's actually a pretty good idea. The citizen's wage, for people who don't know, is this idea that you take away uh basically the 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 social not social services but like unemployment benefits and those kinds of things and you just give 
just enough money for people to live on to everyone, regardless of whether or not they have uh, a job or, you know, if they don't have a job, they get, let's say, about a thousand bucks. And it's enough to not die, but it's not enough to leave com- to, to live comfortably. And you you get it whether you work or not. So if you don't work, you you're not dying. But if you do work, you're still getting that money as well. So it encourages people to be to do something they want to do. And anyway, it's a very complex discussion, but it's a lot less uh, silly than I initially thought. And it's being uh, floated for trials here and there in Finland, um, among other places. People are talking about trying it because it it might be better than the way we're doing things now. So anyway, that was one idea. Another idea that is similarly strange and revolutionary is the Athenian um, democracy, where people actually get selected randomly for a set term of a year or two for some elected offices. Uh, The same way we, we do with jury duty, for example, for judging, you know, for the, the judiciary uh, power. And, and you get people voted in for, uh, ministries or even the, the, the presidentship. The, the president could be voted, selected randomly. And you say, well, now you do this for two years. And after that, you're gone and you have to do the best job you can. Obviously, you have advisors and stuff like that. But anyway, long story short, this is an idea that I also think might be really interesting to get out of the, you know, to at least think about to try and get out of that professional politician uh mindset whose job it is not to to be a politician but to get reelected and we get into those uh impossible situations where things are are degrade over time um i don't know if that's something either of you are are familiar with or um but- yeah it's, i i i i don't like this system but i i've uh, I mean, I knew that's where you were heading when you started. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the problem with that system, you stated it as you described it, is that, um, I mean, if I were picked to be, let's say, like minister of even uh, maybe uh, science, even if I think I have some idea of how science works, like tomorrow, I couldn't be. I haven't put enough thought on it. So I would rely extremely heavily on counselors. And mm. in fact, the power would be in the end of the counselors, which they are the professional people. And yeah, the power yeah. would be stolen by kind of an elite of um, uh, high-ranked... Um, um, yeah, the, the... Public workers, I don't know how to say that, but... Yeah, no, no functionaries. I, uh, yeah, public public servants. Um, public yeah, servants. no, it's true. But I think the the it's not a perfect system for sure, and there are many many flaws. But I think the idea is that in the current system there are these kinds of flaws anyway, and maybe some even bigger ones. So I think you can solve them more easily than random election. You mm. just say uh, if you did one. Uh, if you was were elected for more than five years on any function, you cannot be elected anymore. You can do politics inside your party as long as you want, but as a person, you're not elected. Yeah, that's probably a much simpler, <laughs> a much simpler solution to that problem. I think where I we might still decide <laughs> together where we're going yeah. instead of throwing dice. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's it it makes sense. All right, fine. You you've convinced me on this. At least see on this. <laughs> yes, you have convinced me. Good job, Antoine. Thank you. Um, all right. I think that's probably going to be uh, a wrap. I, I could talk about Japan a little bit more and how, you know, some of the impressions I have here, but I think I'm going to try to do next month, uh, a special on Japan. I hope we can put <clears> it together. Uh, we'll see what happens and I can, um, uh, you know, get, get my, my, opinions about japan which are very mixed and and very conflicted uh out in the open um anything else anyone wants to discuss before we we get out of here or are we done paul uh antoine no no i think or maybe good. some words about uh, verizon and <laughs> uh, verizon why what's happened oh i actually sorry not verizon the panama papers we can't not mention them that that's oh. <laughs> Panama Papers with, with the proper accentuations. I mean, obviously they've been very much discussed in France. I'm sure it's the case in the U.S. as well. Uh, and the feeling I have now, it's like yes, it's absolutely horrifying, but it's not going to lead to anything. I don't think. Maybe it will. But, Can I? Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Ask a question there. I mean, it's completely stupid, but I don't understand why the story has been released a day after in the US and in France. Because I, I was at work and I received, you know, alarms, alerts. Uh, it was on a s Sunday. And I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. And I was telling that to like people at work and everyone was like, what are you talking about? So I like, I tried to talk with my girlfriend about that. She's American and she had like no idea. And we, I had to wait the next day for the story to reach American net, to, uh, like media. And I don't understand why. Because Sunday is, is God's rest day and you don't work on Sundays. So they didn't uh, have to. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe it's the way the media work in the US. I mean, it's certainly a, an international story and it was a, an international coalition of journalists that, that got it together. I, it, it wouldn't. You know, it's not. Yeah, no, anything that's why I thought it would be released yeah. at the same time worldwide, but it wasn't. I, I was very surprised at that. Has it been making waves in in uh, in Hong Kong, or is it too far away? It's it's been. I've seen it mentioned in Japan. Uh, I don't know how big big it's become, but it's been mentioned for sure. So it is making uh, you know headlines worldwide. But uh, what about Hong Kong? Yeah, no, it's big news here uh, because it's outed a few big. Uh, people, big names in China, in both politics and in the business sector. Uh, and also one of our local universities is found to have been, I guess, embroiled in some uh, rather shady offshore investing through the Panama Papers as well. Anyone, quick uh, around the table, do you guys think anyone's going to go to prison for this? I don't think so. And it fuels my rage, but I think no one's going to go to prison. What do you think, Paul? No, I think that it's you know much like uh, much like the 2008 stuff. That if anything were, to, I mean, they may try and wrap it up in the courts for the next uh, decade or something. But I don't think anything significant will will come of it, unless Bernie Sanders gets elected, and then I don't know, maybe <laughs> maybe you know because he he was very outspoken about it from um, some videos I've seen. Yeah, as he should. How can he not be outspoken about this? But. Uh... Um, yeah, Antoine, do you think anyone's going to go to prison? Any hope? I I don't know. You know, um, I always have hopes. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, let's hope. Let's hope it happens. I think it's like the 2008 uh, crisis. No one's going to go to prison, and that makes me want to go to the Place de la République and join the up all night people. So there you go. There's some uh, common rage here somewhere. All right, uh, that's going to be it for us. Um, before we leave, of course, as usual, uh, Antoine, you were saying that you're not uh, yeah. uh, present online anywhere. So uh, thank you for, for being on the show again and, and facing the uh, unending negativity from my end. I'm really thankful that you're willing to come on the show and, and you know, discuss. I really and enjoy and uh, I mean, you're doing great shows in French and English and I'm super glad to discuss and being with you. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope the, the listeners get something out of it as well. Um, Paul, uh, you are online, however. Can you, can you let us know where? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter. The uh, code name is Foxlore, F-O-X-L-O-R-E. And usually anything I'm doing, podcasting or uh, any other stuff is going to flow through there. And can I say, as a listener to the last episode, um, I, w I really enjoyed the discussion, especially when you guys were talking about sort of the differences in the, uh, you know, the educational systems and the educational ideologies that you guys have. Uh, as somebody who works in education, I found that really, really interesting. So, well done. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was really, you know, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I think it, uh, ultimately we did do an okay job of at least presenting the kind of chaos that uh, is our daily uh, life in, in France. So uh, hopefully that was achieved. I, there were a couple of people who were saying, oh, but it would have been good to have people from other countries as well. Uh, I mean, some of that happened here today, uh, but that really wasn't the point of the show. We have people talking about the other countries all the time. The idea there was really to have like two French people talking about French politics in France. So uh, to give you sort of a window into what that is. So hopefully that was uh, enjoyable. Uh, and if you haven't listened to it, uh, you have uh, Paul saying it was interesting. So uh, there you go. Now you have to. Um, and thank you, Paul, for saying that, because I have to say I was super afraid before because that was my first show in English. And I was so so afraid so thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that also is something that i don't think was very clear um I mean, Antoine was was really did a great job, I think, and it wasn't uh, obvious that he wasn't a, a, an English speaker for a long time, besides his accent, obviously, <laughs> which is pretty clear. So, um, yeah, yeah. Again, all around, really, if you haven't heard the show, go and listen to it. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, for me, I'm not Patrick on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, this show can be found at Frenchspin.com, and you can support the show, as I mentioned uh, during the show itself in a somewhat joking manner um, at Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash Club. If you wish to support the show, I would be incredibly thankful for your patronage. So thank you to all the patrons that are already uh, supporting it there. You are the very special that I uh, thank in my heart every night before I go to sleep. Um, also uh, on iTunes and the uh, recently launched uh, Google Play Music uh, podcast store, 
you can find this show and comment and rate it. That would be super useful if um, you want to help us gain a little bit more visibility. Uh, Sedona Sam and uh, Damomano both um, mentioned it on the iTunes store. Uh, Sedona Sam is from the US and Damomano is from Australia. So thank you very much. Uh, they said it's uh, life is perspective, says Sedona Sam, and really interesting, uh, says Damomano, um, who tried it after he heard about uh, about it in a different show and he didn't know what to expect. And in the end, he liked it. So uh, thank you so much for the comments and the uh, five-star reviews. Uh, if you wish to leave one as well, iTunes, Google, or any other podcasting catalog you're uh, listening to. And as I mentioned, uh, patreon.com slash the Fetus Club. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back. Hopefully, that's my hope. Uh, we're trying to do it uh, with a Japan special uh, at some point during the month of May. Uh, but even if that doesn't happen, we will be back with a regular episode at the end of the month. So again, thank you for listening and uh, talk to you in the next one. Bye. <laughs>